Did you know that 83% of technology implementations fail to achieve expected business outcomes? Well, managing technology is incredibly complex. IT covers all processes and everything IT does impacts people in some way. The function is only three decades old, but changing at the fastest pace. Technology industry is highly profitable with intense marketing. Tech companies have the vast majority of the tech talent, not you. Clarity Chat Purpose is rooted in helping you solve IT challenges for business success, to help you decode the complexity, to help you leverage partners effectively, to help you partner with business more effectively, to help you manage change better, to help you attract talent. You get this clarity via experiences of CIOs and business leaders, shared informally and candidly over a cup of tea. Hey everyone, welcome to this 39th edition of Clarity Chat Podcast. This is a direct interaction with my audience in a freewheeling, ask me anything AMA format. In today's session, the focus will be on business value of technology. We will also cover audience questions around AIML maturity, HR's role in digital transformation, CDO versus CIO, and effective contract management KPIs, and many more. This is the 39th episode of Clarity Chat. And I'm excited to discuss with you unanswered questions from previous Clarity Chats. Welcome to Clarity Chat. Do you feel AIML are matured enough to be used in uh, many industries? So, you know, I think, uh, again, I talk always about first principles. Okay, so first principles, what's the first principle behind AIML? It is, uh, I mean, what we call as AIML, you know, if you go back a generation back, it used to be called advanced analytics or, or statistical analytics. And uh, if you go a generation back, it was about, you know, um, reporting, the reporting of data. So the reporting of data, then you start going towards the patterns in data and then you move towards, uh, you know, AI ML, which is like, you know, dynamically uh, finding the patterns in data and, uh, you know, automating some of the stuff that analysts used to do earlier. So the fundamental of AIML is data and sufficient data, you know, I would say mature enough for you to start looking at patterns there. So in my view, if you are in an industry, just look around and, and see how much of data you are generating. Okay. For example, uh, you know, the data that you're generating in your purchase orders or invoices of your ERP, if you're not really doing very high volumes, you know, may not be that relevant for AIML as much as let's say, for example, an MES uh, data, you know, where the data streams tend to be very, very large and, you know, the, the sources of data tend to be very, very large. So, uh, the data sufficiency, maturity, availability, and even within an industry, different use cases, you know, depending on how, uh, how, how vast is the data. And, and of course, you know, for driving patterns, you also need certain amount of certain amount of period of that data. If you've done just something like, you know, three months back, you've gone live. I don't think you will have sufficient data to do any AI. So let's go beyond the jargon and let's see what is the fundamental, you know, uh, what is the fundamental building block of that and, and are these in place uh, or not. Now, typically, uh, you know, as an exception, regardless of the industry, the startups do better on AIML because, you know, they are, uh, from the beginning, they are data-centric, they are tech-centric, and they are, gen they are looking at data itself, you know, as a means to drive value. So they are so focused on data that, you know, they 
tend to uh, use it much better. How can HR play a lead role in digital transformation in the workplace? Again, I go back to the first principles. Okay, so what is it? What is the core? What are some of the core capabilities of the organization that can be leveraged for digital transformation? They know the most about the organization. Organization. They know leaders. HR as an organization uh, knows, uh, you know, the leaders, you know, the high performers, uh, the influencers. Uh, they also know the troublemakers. Okay. Uh, they know the change agents. Uh, and all of these are like, you know, very, very important. I would say pieces of information when you are driving the change management for adoption and for value realization of your initiatives. So I think this is where team, any team driving any digital transforming initiative, you know, must partner with HR in terms of identifying, doing this kind of stakeholder analysis, identifying the influencers, and uh, you know, then starting to engage them in different ways uh, to make the transformation happen. Uh, mind you, I wanted to call this out that many a times, you know, the most influential people are not really the most senior people. Okay? And you look around your own workplace and you will find that uh, there are people who you respect, maybe, you know, sometimes maybe because they are the most helpful, maybe sometimes because they are the most uh, multi-talented, you know, maybe like, you know, the some of the guys who are, you know, most respected are the tax experts who help you with your, you know, taxation around this time of the year. Sometimes the most helpful, the sometimes these are like, you know, the people who are most socially involved and uh, in any kind of change management effort, it is very, very important to identify these influencers regardless of what level they are and then engage them. I think the second... Uh, big important part that HR plays is in uh, driving culture. And uh, culture is again, of course, a big subject for uh, HR. But I would want to bring in a very specific uh, element of, uh, you know, culture which is required for digital transformation, which is data-driven culture. Uh, it may be, you know, running training programs on analytics or, you know, even like, you know, teaching people basics of data analysis using keyword, uh, etc. And, you know, many a times actually like, you know, being yourself the, you know, uh, being data driven. I think I think the other big part they play is in training. Okay, and training not just the first time, but making training uh, you know an integral. Okay, making training of the new initiative as an integral part of your training calendar and training catalog, so that you know it continues and uh, and that's what sustains it. Uh, I think the final one is like you know HR can itself be the role model of digital. You know, you can get technology into the HR processes, like, you know, trainings, competency frameworks and all. So how I used to leverage HR was like, you know, to have discussion with their, with the various departments of HR in terms of like, you know, in terms of how do I include anything new that we are doing in technology into their regular processes. Like, for example, you know, they have a training calendar and training catalog. How can we put uh, IT stuff into that? Um, so we had, like, for example, analytics trainings in, into the training catalog. They have this new employee induction. Now, new employee induction, again, you know, every year it can be different depending on what all initiatives you have taken, right? So I used to address all the uh, new joinees, especially the, the the engineers and MPAs, in terms of telling them what all tools are available to them, and, and also like you know setting up a, a two-way feedback mechanism with them 
so that uh, you know these youngsters who don't uh, you know who have very high expectations of an organizations who do not really uh, you know mind calling a spade a spade give us the most frank feedback about uh, you know what it is not doing right or what can it do better so you know getting uh, technology related stuff into their competency frameworks into the kras of the people uh, you know into let's say their talent assessment frameworks and also there's quite a lot that the technology function and hr function can do together in terms of embedding the uh, digital uh, into the dna of the organization let me step back a little bit and uh, sort of clarify where i'm coming from see there are two types of digital transformation which happen one is you know what happens for the show and the other is what happens for the do so what happens do is the doug okay which is money okay so things that happen for a show you know the the go live program and like you know the cakes get cut you know the, the press releases come out and then people go their own way okay and then you have the next announcement and the next announcement i think what happens for the do is where whatever you are doing it is sustained in a manner where it becomes pervasive in the organization where things like what i told you you know uh, it it gets part of your training curriculum it gets part of the competency framework you know you have us you have an amount of your operational budget you know which is uh, dedicated to uh, sustaining or improving these initiatives and and that's what creates transformation and i think that is where one time implementation you know the project team can do it uh, themselves but if you really want to do digital transformation hr and it have a lot of role to play in that is cdo chief digital officer updated version of cio <laughs> that's a good question weber yes it is in a way and so you know the way it started was like you know the moment this digital transformation started in the new folklore you know people started appointing uh, separate cdos and uh, the cios are there i'm sure there were tough wars and and finally i think what we see as a trend coming in is that you know the cdo and cio roles are merging or you know one reporting to the other so that you know there are no tough wars at least i in one of my clarity chats uh, with uh, dr boris pivinger that was i think the fourth one the fourth episode in his organization there, there was a role of a cdo and there was a role of a cio and i think he explained very beautifully the division of uh, responsibilities of course it's a german organization very very precision driven they wouldn't want to leave like you know any ambiguity between the cdo and cio roles so the role of the cdo was to look at all the customer and product facing uh, you know innovations getting technology into the products getting technology to make a difference to the customer experience whereas the cio was to like you know create that digital threat for the organization uh, you know desiloing the applications creating the scalable infrastructure and all that so if you really now combine both of them what we are really saying is that you know digital transformation has a lot of uh, potential to get technology into your products to get technology into your uh, customer experience to create new business models so the impact of it or technology uh, on the business performance or on the customer experience is becoming more and more tangible so in that sense yes cio does require that upgrade the cio version 2.0 to become the cdo 
So uh, the simple question to ask, you know, uh, have I upgraded from a CIO to CDO is like, you know, am I, am I contributing to the customer experience? Am I contributing to new revenue sources? Uh, am I contributing to technology getting into products? And, uh, you know, am I making tangible, tangible uh, difference to the company's top line or bottom line? I think that in my view would be the difference, right? Okay. So Raktim has explained uh, the right uh, digital transformation should provide right. I think that's a good way to uh, say this, uh, Raktim. Real-time data, of course, that's what we do. Instant gratification to provide a personalized experience. Personalized experience is very important here. I mean, whenever we look at any of these uh, tools, whether it is uh, LinkedIn or whether it is Facebook or, you know, each one of them, the user interface or what you what I see in my homepage is not what you see in your homepage because these homepages are customized, personalized, you know, and they get their feeds from, you know, what I have looked at earlier and whatever their other algorithms are to feed me the information. So, yes, uh, the personalized uh, experience is there. And of course, like, you know, we are in the age of instant gratification. <laughs> DT is what remains same. How is different? You still watch movies, but it's ex experience is totally personalized. Yeah. I think, Raktim, you said it, uh, it's personalized experience, is the same set of technology, but, you know, the experience is more personalized for you. Uh, how you suggest on digital factory making more sense to business in short term and uh, long term? Okay. <laughs> My response to that is, digital factory for whom? <laughs> for doing what? Okay, uh, why? So, you know, we have a lot of these terms which are thrown at us by marketers. Okay. I think what we need to... Uh, do as practitioners is to bring some realism into it or to bring some purpose into it. What is the purpose of digital factory? I mean, you know, and we have to question the people who are throwing these terms at us. We have to question them. Like, what do you mean? What kind of KPIs will it improve for my business? You know, uh, what kind of readiness checklist you need from me to do this? Because a lot of stuff that you want to do on digital requires a certain set of prerequisites for you to be able to do that, right? I mean, if my if none of my machines has a, you know, let's say a PLC controller, I mean, you know, first I have to put those in place and you know get the start getting the data feeds before before looking at that. So uh, my response to uh, you know such questions is has always been to you know uh, find the purpose, find the business case, find some some business improvement that this will bring. And then, you know, target them one by one. Now, as I said, you know, here you will get all experiences, no gyan. So let me take you to one of my experiences. Now, this was, uh, you know, when we were exploring IoT and we were trying to build that capability and uh, we were talking to our manufacturing plants in terms of what they, they were doing, how they were looking at IoT. And then we said, okay, you know, why not? Why not let's visit some place who's already doing it? So the team, which is me and a few of my IT colleagues and a couple of my uh, business uh, manufacturing uh, colleagues, we came to Bangalore and uh, we visited the Bosch uh, factory in Bidar. Uh, and uh, what we found there was like really eye-opener, really eye-opener. So what they had done was, it was a digital factory without really the sort of the, the Bollywood uh, glitz of, uh, you know, a digital factory. So what they had done was to train you know all the factory people which is like you know you're up to supervisor level everyone was trained on 
you know, the data-driven problem solving, uh, you know, whether it is a statistical process control or whether it is, let's say, you know, feedback mechanism to improve quality or a feed-forward mechanism to improve quality or productivity. And the entire focus was on, you know, using data and communication to solve problems, to solve your day-to-day factory problems. And I saw the kind of involvement that I saw of people there, the kind of projects that I saw happening there was phenomenal. Like, for example, you know, one of the components, I think these are like, you know, these components who have got a, a male component and a female component. And, you know, there are some tolerance limits that you need to have between them. And you cannot really, uh, and you have to produce it like, you know, within a certain limit. But then whatever you have produced, you have to produce a corresponding component within that kind of a plus minus, because these are very precision component. The place where they were producing one one of the components uh, of the pair, you know, that place would sort of, you know, communicate with the place where the other part of the other component was being made in terms of like, you know, what it had made right now. So, okay, I have made, this dimension right now okay so it gets into their pipeline okay so that means the next machine that they do is for that tolerance and this whole thing gets coordinated and you know you have two lines just communicating with each other and producing uh, these precision components which are matched to each other uh, with with a much lower higher higher level of quality and acceptance we saw numerous examples like that without really you know a sort of big IoT platform or, you know, any kind of big, uh, I would say, you know, buzzwords or big posters and banners and all of that. So I think, I think, I think that is a, that was a very big lesson for me personally that, you know, we must focus as engineers on solving the problems and, you know, using technology to do that while taking all these, you know, uh, jargons with a pinch of salt. Of course, these do, uh, I'm not junking uh, these, uh, you know, jargons, but contextualize it to yourself, you know, create that scorecard, what a digital factory initiative should do for you, you know, is it, should it improve your preventive maintenance, should it improve your quality, Uh, should it reduce your inventory, and again, like, you know, if all of, so you have to also look at, like, you know, which of these metrics or which of these KPIs is a problem for you. Uh, it's never that everything will be a problem for you. What of it is a problem for you? And try to solve that. Uh, I hope, Vipesh, I'm not sure whether you are on this chat or not, but I hope that provides some perspective on you know, how we need to look at it. It is, uh, are there any best practices which CIOs can share and platform uh, which can collate these? Of course, Clarity Chat itself is a platform where we bring together the CIOs for uh, discussing the practices uh, or, you know, the leadership behaviors or, you know, the approaches or mindsets that you need to uh, bring in, in in terms of managing technology. And uh, it's like, it's fairly a rich retreat now, almost 39 episodes. And of course, you know, we want to make it more usable. Video is not one of the most friendly or most uh, usable platforms. Uh, friendly, yes, but the most usable, most consumable, uh, maybe not, especially if these chats are you know, hour long recordings. So, you know, that prompted me to uh, to bring out the insights, best practices of Clarity Chat into a newsletter first, which already is uh, four editions old. And uh, then, you know, we are also now converting those into podcasts. The, the first podcast is already live last week. 
you know, we are sort of cutting these down, uh, putting out the most useful content and uh, putting it on all the podcasting platforms. Dattatre, uh, if you are a morning walker or if you, are, if you have a long commute to office, you can listen to these podcasts. But of course, there is a technology media, there are quite a few magazines, uh, portals, you know, who uh, talk about some of these uh, things. The, the only uh, uh, challenge sometimes can be that, you know, this can be... Uh, tell only about the success part of the stories and not really the challenges and uh, and and the dirty uh, you know work that we have to do to make this work and i think you will find <laughs> that's the space where i play in uh, with clarity chat is that you know you 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 hear it uh, real no sugar coating you know no glossifying of technology successes but just talking uh, reality okay what inspires you to keep going and how you aligned your career goals with your own passion. What inspires me to uh, keep going and aligning career goals with your own passion? I think, uh, you know, it has been to be, be flexible, uh, you know, be a learner always and be an experimenter. It's a, you know, you're providing me a good chance to reflect on my journey. I started as a mechanical engineer and uh, when I joined Tata Motors way back in 94, I had this excitement that, you know, okay, you know, mechanical engineering is very real and very like, you know, practical and, you know, you can, you can do something and you can see the result right there. So, so when I came to Tata Motors mid nineties, there was a huge demand for, you know, uh, for people to get into technology. And, uh, I actually did not, even though I had opportunity because I was like passionate about Panachalan, but then I ended up in technology. So, so I think it has been a, you know, sort of series of steps where, I have said yes to any exciting opportunity uh, where I had a you know a scope of adding value. I've trusted my seniors to basically give me assignments which are uh, you know which exploit my capabilities best, and uh, and I've tried to do my best. And then you know whenever a next uh, opportunity comes in, you know, just jump into it. Uh, maybe falter, stumble, learn. Improvise, improvise, improvise. So continuous improvement has been one of the, uh, you know, one of the cornerstones of uh, whatever I am today. That you know, let tomorrow be better than today. And you know, we always keep thinking how can we do better, how can we be more efficient, and all that, right? So what inspires me to keep going at this point in time after like having uh, had a good corporate career is to add value. I mean, you know, I came from a very humble background. I think my father took loans always to get us educated. And to have arrived here, I look at it as a big blessing. The feeling of being one of the chosen ones. And therefore, like, you know, help other people uh, add value. So I do get lots of requests to, you know, you know just for a discussion. And these are very, very varied ones. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I just just do that. Uh, I help people, whether it's on LinkedIn, off LinkedIn. I mentor, uh, you know, everyone. In fact, you will see a video sometime later, you know. So I had a driver in, in my last Pune stay. He was my driver from 2009 to 2011. And I was sort of his mentor, okay. He had his own challenges, pains, uh, legacy, uh, which kind of came out in his behavior. And I uh, sort of helped him, you know, overcome some of those challenges. Sort of, I wa- I wanted him to smile and all of that. And and 12 years later, when we have again moved to Pune, this guy came all the way traveling two and a half hours to our place from another corner of the city just to, you know, uh, pay us a visit. So, you know, those kind of things, you know, making a difference to other people, adding value to people 
and you know making it real uh, talking uh, you know what makes sense rather than you know just going by just going with the flow i think those are the things uh, uh, that keep me going uh, the other thing is like you know i have always been uh, a transformation uh, person i've always tried to look at things from different points of view benchmark them with different uh, other industries and then you know try to sort of see a you know picture which is very different and much much more efficient or much much more effective than uh, what is today and over a period of time you know as i have been taking those risks and you know uh, and sort of speaking my mind that hey you know this is how it should be and then making it happen it has given me a lot of courage and confidence that you know transformation is something which many of us think that you oh, you know what he did this he did this that organization did that organization did it but maybe you know like uh, not for me i think uh, i try to break that uh, mold for people and uh, it's actually uh, pretty good to see to help uh, organizations uh, transform themselves i think 2 years down the line i can say that i've helped a few people and organizations transform uh, you know unlock their potential and get from a struggle of growth to a struggle you know where where, where you're you're dealing with the pangs of growth you know i mean you don't have enough resources or you know you are i mean you have too much demand and you don't have enough supply and stuff like that so of course like you know the details of these things are private between me and my clients but uh, really gives me a kick okay and of course uh, the other thing is to build my own startup uh, you know build a business which is different which is like you know where i can be absolutely free to uh, you know implement my first principles along with a, a co-founder and partner who thinks uh, exactly like me as far as the principles are concerned but very very differently you know as far as the practicals are concerned so Uh, end of the day as i always uh, mention also that you know that we must have fun in the process you know life is not there to take stress end of the day you know we are just a speck of dust who uh, in the in the overall scheme of the universe like you know appeared and the next flicker it will disappear so we just take ourselves uh, too much seriously so we just should have fun and and when i come and uh, you know talk on these clarity chat sessions uh, one of my uh, objectives is not to let these become heady conversations you know too serious conversations and trying to solve world problems no we're not here for that i think we're here to have a light conversation but loaded with a lot of learnings and insights okay and uh, who said that you cannot learn while having fun i mean look at the the small kids uh, you know the teachers have to have fun to make them learn <laughs> and i think why not with us Uh, let's not grow up that way okay okay so coming back to my live questions here okay uh, would like to know your open views advice to the tech entrepreneur startup company in the field of it infrastructure and information security i think these are two fields uh, which are exciting as well as as well as dangerous because this is where the most disruption is happening okay? i mean um, look at it infrastructure the speed at which you know it is moving from your own data center to cloud that speed is phenomenal and, you know the way the associated technologies applications uh, you know operational uh, applications etc etc are uh, changing that's again phenomenal so i would say that you know be at the forefront of it keep trying new things you must already have customers right so bring the best of the new technologies and concepts to your customers 
So use your customers as positive experimentation grounds to learn and fine tune it. Uh, and, and, you know, it must add additional value to them. So I always invited my partners to use me as a guinea pig, you know, so that, you know, they can also learn a little bit. We can also learn a little bit in terms of how new technologies work and all that. Coming back to specific advice, of course, I don't know your specific context, but yeah, I think you, know, you must build cloud capabilities. Uh, you, know, you must be up to date with information security, the fastest moving field, okay? And train your uh, people in, in, in those and, and try to build internally, uh, you know, the capabilities. Uh, uh, a lot of it is learning and experimentation. So I think everyone knows that. But yeah, I would just say that, you know, be ahead of, of the pack in terms of changing. IT infrastructure, especially, you know, can be a sort of bit of a comfort zone because you may get some outsourcing contracts, you know, where like you can be happy getting your monthly billings and all of that. But uh, yeah, comfort zones are dangerous, especially today. I've seen like uh, so many people in infrastructure space, like, you know, who have uh, struggled to transform themselves to cloud specialists or, you know, any, any other uh, uh, relevant technology space, I would say. How to manage effectively contract management measurable and maintain long-term vendor management and contract audits. Oh, so, you know, this is another, uh, probably one of those things, uh, you know, which are underrated uh, or under understood in uh, uh, technology world. You know, most of maybe about 80 to 90% of what we do as IT professionals, you know, is uh, or as CIO organizations is actually uh, you know done by vendors so it's very important to uh, have the management framework around uh, the vendor relationships as well as the deliveries slas and you know uh, all of that two things that need to happen here one is and i would prioritize on that one is the governance you know so you must have regular reviews with your vendors when we were building the vendor management function in my cio tenure one of the things I insisted on my teams is that, you know, we must have monthly reviews with our partners and give them an opportunity as well to tell us, you know, uh, where we have room, room to improve or like, you know, how can we do better, right? So bring out some improvement ideas and all. So make the relationship positive in terms of like, you know, giving feedback to each other, okay, and improving the overall uh, partnership. And that's the job of the governance. Governance is another role that, you know, you can never ever write everything, uh, every potential scenario in a contract. Therefore, governance becomes, a, you know, a mechanism to take decisions which may many times be outside of the contract. So don't look at monthly, I, we have to just sit down and have a cup of tea with each other. No, that's not the purpose of governance. The governance, governance has to address every single thing that is happening in the relationship which is not covered with the contract and you cover cover that with the minutes of the governance okay and and a lot of these things will emerge uh, never never ever push them under the carpet the other thing is like you know i would say grounds up now i came across a practice uh, which is uh, not really a bad one but i think you need to uh, again do it with a positive attitude which is basically it was a very simple framework that you know like take your contract and look at all the you know the will uh, and should part of it okay and just database them into an excel and this is nothing but your 
commitments, right? And you must have like, you know, the partner will do this, will do this, will do this, will do this, will do this as part of one Excel. And, you know, the customer will do this, will do this, will do this, will do this as, as another one. Plus, you know, everything, plus the other ones, which are like, you know, let's say the FRM tables and all of that. And this is something, you know, that must be uh, uh, sort of audited at least once a quarter between the vendor management team and uh, the service delivery team. If you're not a very large organization, then I think you should be, uh, uh, you should be, the service delivery team itself can do an audit, uh, you know, of uh, these commitments. And the findings of those, uh, you know, should come to a governance forum. I mean, never ever beat down your partner, you know, that, hey, why is this not happening? But I think rather we should have a discussion that, you know, okay, if this is not what is required, it is in the contract, but if this is not what what is required, but you're doing something else, you know, I mean, you know, let's have a written agreement on, on swapping those. Keep it, when you're managing vendors, like keep it, keep everything above board, keep things in writing. Don't let too many understandings prevail. They create problems later on and have a, have a governance mechanism as a top-down mechanism to improve the relationship and the performance of the relationship and uh, a bottoms-up mechanism of like, you know, contract compliance, auditing the contract compliance to just keep tabs on like, you know, uh, on, on, on how, uh, how the partner is doing or whether I'm getting everything, what is there in the contract with my partner or not. I think the parting advice that I have for all of you is that it is not the partner performance or the vendor performance, right? Because we tend to say that, you know, this vendor is performing uh, good, the vendor performing badly. Uh, first thing I would say, re- replace the vendor with partners. So it's always partners. So, and it's not the performance of the partner. It's the performance of the partner relationship. This partner relationship is doing badly. This partner relationship is doing well. And the moment you start using that language, uh, 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 half of the part of this partnership not working well also falls on your side. And you must do a you know, reflection in terms of people who are managing that relationship, in terms of the governance process, in terms of you know, how frequent dialogues we have with them. All of that you must consider <clears throat> when you feel a partner is not performing. Because... Uh, it's not that a partner performs; it's a partner relationship that performs. Performs. Technology should be a, can should be an enabler only. Yes, there is a lot of management stuff. Uh, there's a lot of on the ground stuff that uh, needs to be done, and technology can only be an be an enabler. In fact, uh, I would also like to connect this with like you know with the startup ecosystem. Uh, you know, the best startups or, you know, the successful startups are there who have a balance between what they do with technology and what they do in the real world. Okay. And I think the, the startups that fail would be like, you know, who think that like, you know, I build an app and that app can change the world. Okay. I mean, <laughs> there'll be very few apps like WhatsApp or like, you know, Facebook, which can just do that. But even there, you know, when they were building it up, you know, there was a lot of on the ground stuff uh, that. Hey, I am your podcast host, Jagdish Belwal. I had a rich career as CIO at Tata Motors and GE. Now, as an advisor, I help organizations transform with technology. Technology is necessary for digital transformation, but not sufficient. So I help organizations with the rest of it. Leadership, strategy, culture, 
change management, etc. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. For now, keep listening and don't forget to subscribe the podcast and do connect with me on LinkedIn. Now we have uh, so another question from Partha Bhattacharya asking, has anyone tried to use blockchain to optimize supply chain cost running MRP based real-time demand and supply data in multiple locations? Fortunately, the discussion around blockchain has been like, you know, <laughs> hijacked by the cryptos and, uh, you know, the mad rush there. But yes, uh, there's, a, there's quite a bit of opportunity there, I would say. When I was in transportation, the transportation became part of a Beta Alliance. Beta was blockchain in transport uh, uh, alliance. And uh, it was to basically, you know, bring in all the participant, industry participants into building a blockchain ecosystem. Now, I think I haven't seen, frankly, uh, anyone do that. But here is my uh, thought process. You know, as I said, you, know, you can, if you don't get a practical case study, you can get an approach. So, this is my approach to this. Okay, so blockchain fundamentally is decentralized, right? That means, you know, it builds trust by. By, by involving multiple participants and then, you know, basically doing a cross a democratic kind of certification, right? So we have to look at, uh, you know, use cases where you have, you know, where, where there are these multiple uh, participants who can, you know, uh, certify a transaction or who can approve a transaction. Like, like for example, uh, I mean, I, I, I take an example, you know, in, uh, in actually vehicle finance, okay? You know, here is a financier, you know, who is giving money to a dealer to buy a car from the manufacturer, right? And somewhere, you know, this car is getting sold, okay, to uh, a customer. Uh, and the customer has also taken taken uh, financing, okay? So, from probably the same bank. So, you have a vehicle being bought using finance from a bank and a vehicle which is sold using financing. And there are multiple players here, but, you know, at the center of it is the vehicle. Here we can have that kind of, a, you know, system, that kind of a mechanism where, you know, uh, the, the purchase of a car, the sale of a car, and, you know, uh, and who has financed it, who has financed it on this side, who has financed it on this side. You know, these, these are things that can be sort of orchestrated. But uh, we know intuitively that there is a use in supply chain because the number of participants out there in fact, I would, anyone who's watching this uh, episode of Clarity Chat, if you have any one of you uh, who have seen a use case around, uh, you know, optimizing supply chain cost, please respond to Partha's comment, uh, not necessarily on the live chat, but even if you're watching a recording, please do mention Partha and myself and, and, and comment. Uh, and it would be good to know, uh, you know, any practical use cases happening. Okay, so um, maybe like, you know, time for one last question here. Uh, let me take uh, this question. It says, how effectively to handle, this is again from Pawan Roy, uh, how effectively handle crisis management, especially production flow down, business impact directly, and how partner gives uh, quick support uh, let me take this, uh, you know, crisis management as a as something. And let me go back to my experience, you know, when I had the first biggest crisis, you know, in technology. And this was, uh, you know, we had the CRM, we had just done an upgrade and went live. And one of the 
components uh, you know of the system which was like you know the component that was generating the invoices and uh, payment receipts you know it failed to scale up and we were at a significant scale by then it failed to scale up and the servers were going down frequently you know the notices came up at the dealer this was crm so you know the dealers were using it the customers were getting affected and dealers started putting notices out there that you know tata motors system having a problem we cannot give you an invoice now we will send it to you later so <laughs> major impact i mean you know i would say maybe probably the first time i thought that you know like there's a risk to my job but we had to uh, you know we had to we had to manage that crisis so that's the time like you know i i kind of created the war room process so a war room is some sort of a 24 by 7 operation one of its uh, biggest roles is to communicate right so when there's a crisis you everyone is like you know asking for frequent communication it's like you know it's like you know how keenly we are looking towards news you know when 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 something is unfolding when a crisis is unfolding let's say a huge hostage drama is unfolding or let's say even you know a boy falling down in a bore well and you know people trying to rescue him you know, everybody is keenly looking forward to something some new update some new so one of the important uh, elements of that war room is communication okay and uh, you need to create a process around it then other one is like responding so so you know what i used to do was to open a skype bridge which is now teams you know to open a teams bridge and you know send out that link to everyone across and you know anybody can actually click on that link join you know talk to the people who are manning the war room and uh, basically get an update right so that's the most important thing the second thing is like you know uh, managing multiple stakeholders even even setting up at a communication and a tight link between them now here an interesting one which i figured out was that you know when you are especially with product vendors you will find this kind of tendency and again i'm not mincing any words uh, you know this is to all the product guys out there all the big applications like sap oracle and whatever whatever most of these people like you know they tend to have sort of process which i have not understood which is like you know put the ball back into the customer's court so when we face that uh, challenge you know we would uh, we would be in touch with the support we had raised a red alert kind of ticket and they would say hey try to do this try to do this change this parameter change that parameter and uh, this was handled by my technical team and i was just observing and therefore i could find a pattern that like you know is going around a multi push so i created a i created a tracker okay now this may be another advice that you can take when you are doing your crisis management which is logging your actions during crisis so we started logging okay you know what is the parameter what is the old state what is the new state and what was what is the impact of it because you know you are running so fast during a crisis that you may fail to see a pattern or you may fail to analyze you know your actions in perspective so we started maintaining this excel uh, in real time you know anytime we are asked to do something and you know very quickly within a few hours uh, we could actually show it back to them that hey guys you know what you are taking us around a mulberry bush okay so don't do that tell us something which you have not recommended so far and uh, then sort of that escalated it to a different level and then i reached out to i mean when when it's a crisis like you know we have to look at the business impact of the crisis mm-hmm. not really as an it manager or as a it leader i uh, as to like you know what the crisis is doing i i simply like you know felt empowered to write to you know the senior most people i knew in any of these organizations or i could find the contacts within the organization saying that guys we have a crisis we have a crisis okay and you know what i mean uh, they have their own crisis management processes that responded in fact uh, i was 
every day i used to have a call with the uh, with the vice president in in the global ceo's office of one of the top 5 you know those software biggies you know to whom i will give an update as to what is happening have we tried how support performing i know and and the various things and uh, he would take that from there so in the evening i would give them an update overnight you know they would be sort of working the threads and in the morning at 8 am i would have a call with him and he would tell me that like kind of plan they have for us let me kind of wrap it up we are just at the end of the hour so when you are managing crisis number 1 right set up the communication mechanism both downstream that means to people who are impacted as well as to the people who are going to be supporting you number 2 set up action logging mechanism every single action that you are taking to manage the crisis must be logged and maybe like you know let's say once or twice every day you should be looking at it as a team with multiple pairs of eyes trying to find some pattern trying to make sense of what what is happening right and third never ever be scared to escalate if the organization is uh, in pain it's your responsibility and you are empowered to raise your voice to the highest decibel level regardless of who the partner or who the partner is or like you know where i have to raise the voice right so let me uh, yeah partha you are right war room is that major incident management uh, bridge till a resolution is reached of course yes major incident management is one of the ideal processes yes of course that you must follow the 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 ideal processes and guidelines of course uh, but you know these are like you know as i told you when you come to clarity chat i'll i tell you from my personal experience this was in 2006 7 when i when i hadn't heard of ideal or major incident management and we just like you know hand built the, the process and uh, and we just converted it into a process and later on i think 5 years later i came got to know that yes oh this is an ideal v3 as a major incident management process but i think you know just to kind of like bring the two together what you do as a process or like you know as something common sense to do is there in the processes so don't look at this processes as esoteric those processes have come out of collective common sense of a lot of practitioners so start taking you know the processes like itel v3 and uh, you know iso 27000 and all seriously they are not just jargon out there they are some solid processes and i have built my it management framework and the it organization are by using these processes in a serious way okay maybe something uh, Uh, you know to talk about in another edition of clarity chat around how do you transform it how do you bring a process uh, aligned operating model and i've got some fairly big transformation stories around that till then guys thanks for uh, joining me oh what an interaction and what questions i hope you loved it as much as i did Please do subscribe to the Clarity Chat podcast. It's available on all major podcasting platforms. In our next podcast, I will host Rajiv Jorapur, CIO of Bajaj Auto. Watch out for our next Clarity Chat podcast with Rajiv. Mm-hmm.